The Al Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Welcome to our show on this beautiful Saturday, April 18th. I hope everybody's doing fine. My health is very, very good. I hope yours is too, my friends. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're being careful. Yeah, you know, we've got to um, we've got to uh, take this thing serious. I am not sure how serious uh, we have to be as far as the, the economy goes because, boy, we are going to be hurting. If we keep this up, uh, we, we need to we need to really, really get the economy going again. But um, I hope everybody's doing fine. We've got a great program for you today, my friends. We've got um, Mr. Arthur, Mr. Andrew Arthur from the Center for Immigration Studies, and he's going to be talking about this whole ridiculous push to release illegal aliens, illegal alien detainees and criminals as well. Uh, very interesting uh, sidebar on that this past uh, week. Uh, there was a uh, nurse in New York City that had recovered. She had recovered from the COVID virus. And uh, unfortunately, she recovered from the home, from the uh, virus, but uh, she still lived in New York. And what happened was, uh, was that uh, she was mugged. She was severely beaten uh, and mugged uh, in, in New York City. This is, uh, I mean, you, you know, my friends, we're so worried about the, uh, the uh, doggone uh, uh, criminals and the aliens getting uh, getting uh, sick. How about us getting victimized by criminals and by illegal aliens? How about that? How about politicians worry about that instead of, you know, it's an issue of public safety. It's an issue of our public safety, the taxpayers. We are cooped up and they are talking about releasing illegal aliens and criminals. Outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. Um, so that's one topic that we're going to be chatting about. We've got uh, also Mr. Justin Butterfield, who is um, with the First Liberty Institute. And Justin is going to be talking to us about uh, the opposition to uh, church gatherings and meetings that are that is going on that's taken effect. I mean, we've got uh, some folks like the governor of Virginia that have literally outlawed uh, religious freedom. I mean, incredibly, incredibly, the uh, the governor of uh, of New Jersey was on Fox News, was on Tucker Carlson, and literally made the comment, he absolutely made the comment, that um, he wasn't thinking of religious liberty and the First Amendment when he outlawed uh, gatherings, when he outlawed gatherings, including church meetings. Uh, you know, it is it, it is really, really very telling how the claws of uh, the left have uh, come out in the name of public safety. It really, really is. Finally, we've got Laura Presley. Uh, Laura is my good friend who uh, is the uh, CEO of True Texas Elections. And I wanted to to talk to her about uh, this whole issue now, again, uh, all related to the COVID pandemic, uh, this uh, situation where uh, uh, there is uh, a a huge push for mail-in ballots, a big, big push nationwide by by mail-in about mail-in ballots, uh, Michelle Obama has gone on uh, uh, on TV, and um, there's uh, uh, on uh, MTV. There's a big push. Uh, the uh, talk show hosts on on Saturday night or on uh, on night show, on the night shows are talking about it. I mean, eh, the, the left is really pushing all out to have mail-in ballots, and she's going to be talking to us about the potential. The potential for fraud, because it is ripe. We are already we have already seen many many occasions where we've got uh, uh, vote harvesting going on with with mail in ballots with the mail in ballots of elderly. And uh, you know it, one one of the things that really really angered me the other day was to hear Jim Acosta from uh, CNN confront the president on the issue of mail in ballots and say, "Can you give us?" Some examples, because we've never seen examples. He is such a an idiot. 
that it's so difficult to respect that man. It is absolutely so, so difficult to respect that man. Um, let's go to some quick um, news items uh, before we go to our first interview. Um, the, the, uh, the, the fake news and food shortage is, uh, is one of the things that's really popping up again right now because, uh, the fake news is trying to now create a big panic over who's going to pick the crops that we need farm labor. We need immigrant labor. Of course, that's what they call it. Immigrant labor. They don't call it illegal alien fully 50%, fully 50% of the farm laborers are illegal aliens. And, um, there is a big effort now to stop ICE from arresting illegal aliens on uh, farms, uh, to uh, encourage more illegal aliens to cross so that they can work on the farms. Uh, you know, there any and every excuse to justify illegal immigration that the latest one is food shortage, the potential for food shortage and farm labor, the shortage of farm labor. That's the latest excuse and justification. Uh, then there's a, sadly, sadly, there's a, a bunch of uh, evangelical Christian organizations, uh, nine of them, in fact, that are now urging President Trump to release illegal aliens and asylum seekers, just like we were talking a few moments ago. Uh, their fear, again, is that they're, they're going to, these people are going to contract the COVID pa- uh, virus. Well, I got news for you, my friends. If these dis- detainees are released, why not release them back into their home countries? They never, you know, these people that are demanding the release, they never say that. Release them back into their home countries. We can't excuse and, release and, and, and reward any, uh, any illegal aliens uh, or asylum seekers for any reason or condition. Because that only rewards more illegal immigration, my friends, and it justifies breaking the law. These Christian leaders, I don't think they're very Christian. I think they're very, very misguided. That's what I think. Uh, also, liberals are criticizing the. Uh, uh, get this. I, this is incar- this is so funny. Um, there is a uh, a blogger writer named Julio Ricardo Barrella from California, of course. And uh, Julio, me and Julio down by the schoolyard. I like that song. Anyway, Julio uh, is shocked. Get this. All right, hold on to your hands. He is shocked that ICE is continuing to enforce immigration laws. <laughs> he wants them to stop. You know, uh, perhaps at the same time, while we're while we're not uh, enforcing immigration laws, prefer maybe he would prefer that we stopped uh, or suspended uh, all the other laws as well. You know, uh, all in the name of health of health and uh, the health emergency. I, I, incredible. Uh, you know, just you know, uh, it's bad enough that during normal times, these liberals and leftists have created sanctuary communities where they ignore immigration laws. Now they want to use the COVID crisis for an ex- another excuse to break immigration laws. I mean, this is, this is the fact, my friends. This is the fact. Uh, furthermore, more, more news items, more news items. Uh, illegal aliens uh, that are being uh, released under pretext of health concerns, it appears that there is a Pandora's box that's being opened. In New Jersey, in New Jersey, uh, hundreds uh, I believe it's about 900 of them, 900 illegal aliens have been re- re- released from ICE detention. Now, I don't know whose bright idea this was. I don't know why this happened, but it needs to be looked into it because we just may have entered uh, a, a new era of catch and release where all we do is catch and then we just release these people again. And illegal immigration is going to be encouraged, my friends. It's going to be encouraged. Instead of releasing these people in the United States, we need to release them back into their home country. Um, More leftist insanity. Uh, Law-abiding citizens that are being quarantined and shut away. Uh, The, uh, you know, the the, uh, left continues to scream and yell for more uh, criminals and, and illegal aliens to be released. The world is upside down, my friends. It's upside down. Liberals are criticizing ICE for doing their job. Yep, yep, they are. Uh, Get this. Uh, Red Chinese women, Chinese women from Red China, from the mainland, are still coming to the United States to um, go to birth motels where they are giving birth to kids, anchor babies, still during the COVID crisis. This was documented at a motel in Orange County, California. Uh, incredible. I, I, I don't understand that, my friends. I don't understand it. it. It is, my friends, we have, 
we have a, a, a situation where the left is taking extreme, uh, extreme advantage of, okay? Just like, uh, just like uh, who was it? Uh, uh, gosh, I can't remember his name, the Chicago uh, Rahman Emanuel, just like he said that we should never waste, uh, they should never waste a, uh, a, a, a crisis. That's exactly what's happening right now, my friends. They, the, the left is using this crisis to advance their, their agenda. And unfortunately, we have too many, we have too, too many Republicans that are caving to it. We must not negotiate. On the contrary, just like the left points the finger and screams, we need to point the finger and scream at the left and say, you are responsible. You are responsible for our not having an economy that's opened and flourishing again. You know, this, this situation, again, uh, my friends, of when does the economy open up? When is it safe enough? I'm sorry, my friends. At what point is anything safe enough for somebody who's insecure and immature, like the snowflakes on the left? At what point is anything safe enough for, for them to go back to work. I mean, especially when they didn't want to work in the first place. I mean, let's understand that. Let's understand that. When is it safe enough for us to start enforcing, to continue to enforce immigration laws to secure the border? I mean, they want the, the Democrats in Congress want uh, the president to stop uh, construction of the border wall. I mean, you know, people in hell want ice water. They do. Unfortunately, if uh, heaven was run by, by by some Republicans, you know, they would give, they would try to give uh, ice water to, to the people in hell. It, it, it is, it makes that much sense. We cannot, my friends, we cannot uh, continue. We cannot continue to allow this uh, situation to uh, to continue where we cave to the left, where we surrender our individual rights and freedoms our economic rights and freedoms where we surrender them to insecure immature people who justify uh, uh, government control that's what we can't do once again my friends george rodriguez el conservador talking to you from san antonio deep in the heart of south texas thank you for being with us today stay tuned for our first um, guest uh, call your friends. Tell them to join us. KLUP. Uh, I, I hope that uh, that uh, you will continue to support us. So we're going to go ahead and take a break, and we'll be right back with our first guest. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website. ElConservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. All right, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got uh, a new guest with us, uh, Mr. Uh, Andrew Arthur from the uh, Center for Immigration Studies. He is a uh, presidential fellow there. And uh, I wanted him to chat with us about uh, the... um, teleconference, the discussion that they had um, regarding uh, this past week regarding the issue of um, illegal aliens that are in detention, that are um, the demand by many, many, many organizations uh, regarding their their release. Many politicians and organizations are demanding that they be released because they are in danger of uh, of the health situation with the uh, covid uh, virus. Uh, my question, I guess, is, uh, or my position has always been, well, you know, what about us? You know, we're, we're confined and we have to 
sit here in our in our homes and uh, while they are being released after being detained because they were here illegally. So, uh, Andrew, thank you for joining us and being on our show. Um, what uh, what um, what was the result? What uh, what was the discussion about regarding this situation? Well, the, the, the question was uh, the uh, safety of the community, the safety of uh, the community is a health matter, the safety of the community is a uh, public safety, a criminal matter uh, of having aliens detained in ICE custody versus having aliens released from ICE custody back in the community. And uh, there were a number of very important points that were raised uh, during this discussion. A lot of people have argued that uh, all of the aliens who are currently in ICE detention should be released because, of course, you know, they're confined individuals, confined in the space, and therefore more susceptible to uh, contracting uh, COVID-19, the novel coronavirus. And uh, a lot of important points were raised. Probably the most important one is that uh, when aliens are detained, and keep in mind that aliens are detained uh, by law for a variety of reasons, uh, some of them are uh, subject to mandatory detention because uh, they uh, entered the United States illegally so that they can make asylum claims. Uh, some of them are detained because they've committed crimes, some very you know, serious crimes. Uh, and then some of them are detained because they're waiting travel documents to be sent back home. So uh, ICE actually has three forms of detention, detention that it runs itself, detention uh, that it contracts out to private corporations, and detention at local county jails, uh, including uh, you know, some down in Texas. Um, each one of those facilities, whether they're run by ICE or run by somebody else uh, and paid by ICE, is subject to very strict uh, standards called uh, the Performance-Based National Detention Standards. And the PBNDS, as they're known, actually has 41 pages of guidance about uh, how uh, health and hygiene is to be uh, provided to those individuals while they are in ICE custody. They're subject to uh, health screening at intake. Um, they have the opportunity for 24-hour medical care. They have the opportunity to obtain uh, medication while they're in detention. So if uh, any of these individuals is you know, screened at intake and is believed to have uh, the flu or to have uh, COVID-19, then those individuals are automatically quarantined. They're uh, put into a 14-day quarantine. If they get sick, they're treated. If uh, they show moderate to severe uh, symptoms of COVID-19, then they're sent to the local uh, medical facility. But while they're detained, they actually receive full medical care. They probably receive a lot better medical care than most of the people who are listening right now. Uh, none of us, uh, certainly at this point uh, in time, wants to put any stress on our local uh, health care system. I think we're all, you know, driving a lot more carefully. We're being a lot more careful around sharp objects. Uh, and, you know, if we feel bad, if we, you know, have a cold or, you know, if we, even if we have a fever, uh, we're generally trying to treat it ourselves uh, in until, you know, it gets to a point where we believe that we need to, you know, actually seek emergent uh, health care. Most of uh, your listeners probably have had non-elective surgery. Those who are subject to health uh, issues have had their doctor's appointments canceled, non-elective surgery canceled. So they're not actually able to access health care themselves. But it's important to note that while in detention, these individuals actually have a full 24-hour access to medical care uh, if they need it and to medication if they need it. So the alternative to that is to releasing those individuals out on the street. As I mentioned before, a lot of these individuals are in tension because they have uh, some serious crimes, drug traffickers, uh, sex offenses, things like that. And if released onto the street, uh, there are one of three outcomes. One, they won't uh, contract COVID in the general population uh, and they won't commit a crime. Two, they will contract COVID and they'll put a burden on the local health care system. Or three, uh, they'll commit a crime. Of course, you know, there's a fourth option. They could both get COVID and commit a crime. So looking at the big picture, 
infrastructure. It's actually better as a healthcare matter. It's better as a public safety matter that those individuals remain detained rather than being released. Interestingly enough, uh, yesterday one of our panelists was Thomas Hobson, who's the sheriff of Bristol County, Massachusetts. Sheriff Hobson has been uh, court-ordered to release a number of aliens, some of whom have very significant crimes. And I recommend your listeners go to our website, cis.org, and you can actually watch Sheriff Hodgson uh, describe some of those crimes, but uh, very serious uh, crimes that impact the public safety. But he's been required to release those individuals uh, by a judge uh, in order to uh, protect them in the eyes of the judge from exposure to COVID while they are in immigration detention. Amazing. And it's important. It's important to note that when they're in immigration detention, they're in a closed uh, environment. The officers who, uh, the correctional officers who provide the detention are, you know, themselves screened before they go to work. Uh, if anybody, you know, uh, uh, enters the facility, they're screened. Hand sanitizer, soap is available as a common matter at these facilities. So they're actually probably in a much better position in their uh, in their uh, detention facilities than they would be in the general public. Amazing. You know, uh, one of the things that also uh, worries me is that we might just turn, the, turn this back into a uh, catch-and-release type situation where we would release these folks and we never would see them again. Is that a potential? Yeah, and, you know, yeah, that raises an even bigger problem. Right now, uh, uh, Customs and Border Protection is operating under guidelines from HHS under Title 42 of the United States Code to, you know, uh, prevent the introduction into the United States of individuals who, uh, you know, may be uh, themselves uh, carrying COVID-19. This is especially a big issue in Texas, uh, in Arizona and California, where, you know, the border is right on the other side. Um and so, you know, they're very quickly turning individuals around who enter the United States legally or don't have proper documents. Uh, and they're doing that because uh, they don't want to have large populations of people in their detention centers. If we were to release all of the ICE detainees in the United States, that would have the effect of encouraging people to enter the United States illegally, knowing that they themselves are not going to be subject to detention either. Uh, and quite frankly, if anything, that would exacerbate what is already a bad situation for uh, the 90% of Americans who are living under stay-at-home orders, shelter-in-place orders, quarantine orders, whatever you want to call it. So uh, we would return to a situation like we saw last year, especially last May, when we saw tens of thousands of individuals uh, who were apprehended at the border. The border would literally be overwhelmed by people. Um so, again, you know, there is a moral risk uh, to uh, mass release of individuals. And, but it's important to underscore the fact that these individuals are safer in ICE detention than they would be in the public as a whole. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of articles. I mean, daily I see a lot of articles, uh, sympathetic articles, as I call them, uh, Bleeding heart articles telling uh, where where folks are reporting and and holding uh, uh, fasts and holding uh, uh, hunger strikes as well as just protesting for the release of these folks. Do you think uh, is there is there any feeling that that uh, that the president or that uh, ICE might have to cave on releasing these people? Absolutely not. Uh, and I think that if uh, you know. In the light of the judges, and there are judges around the country who have ordered the release of some of these people. I think the Department of Justice is going to challenge those orders in uh, the courts of appeals, and they're eventually going to take it to the Supreme Court. Because, again, this is a, a public safety issue in addition to a health issue. Right. Uh, many of these are very dangerous individuals. Congress has said that they should be detained. Uh, and, you know, quite frankly, what they're protesting, what they're complaining about is the conditions of their confinement. In reality, the conditions of their confinement are better than the conditions under which most Americans find themselves living today, at least from a health standpoint. That's right. So I don't think, I, I cannot imagine a scenario in which the Trump administration would cave, in which ICE would cave. 
and I believe that Attorney General William Barr's attorneys, uh, you know, has 110,000 people working for him. I think that they're going to vigorously litigate these cases in order to prevent a mass release uh, because, again, it would not only endanger the public, but it would also create a humanitarian and a, a national security disaster at the border. Andrew, we need to close here. Uh, tell the folks how they can follow CIS and um, uh, if they want to get more information. Absolutely, and thank you for that. Go to CIS.org. I've written a lot about this. Uh, you can watch uh, Monday's uh, uh, teleconference uh, where not only uh, myself and Sheriff Hodson, but also our director, Mark Corian and Dan Cadman, who uh, spent 30 years, including as the district director in Miami, uh, with the former INS and with ICE uh, to discuss these issues uh, and to follow uh, immigration generally. I write about it almost every day. Excellent. Thank you very much. We've been talking with uh, Andrew Arthur from uh, the Center for Immigration Studies. This is George Rodriguez on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, 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 my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer, here in San Antonio. And we've got uh, a new guest with us, and uh, I reached out to him because I think that um, this group has um, is doing a lot for the issue of religious freedom. Uh, we've um, been watching a lot across the country. Uh, and here in Texas, we've been watching these situations where ministers are being cited, are receiving citations for holding religious services because people, obviously, 10 or more, are not supposed to gather. Uh, and uh, the uh, churches are being uh, threatened with uh, being closed down. So I uh, wanted to reach out to uh, to uh, the First Liberty uh, Organization, First Liberty Institute, and uh, we've got Mr. Justin Butterfield, who is the Deputy General Counsel for them. And uh, Justin has also worked uh, as the um, uh, in the Religious Conscious uh, Division uh, for uh, Health and Human Ser- Services. And um, uh, I wanted to get him on here and chat. Uh, Justin, thank you for taking time, and I hope that you and your family are safe and sound and healthy. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Tell us about uh, this situation that we're seeing across the country with religious freedom, really, literally, uh, under the gun uh, for meeting. And, uh, you know, where do, where do we draw the, the line between public safety and, uh, and the, the First Amendment? Well, thank you for having me on. And, you know, this is an area that at First Liberty Institute, we've seen a lot of questions and gotten a lot of concern from pastors around the country who are wondering just this exact question, you know, what is permissible? Where Where is that line between legal um, restrictions that are there to, to save people's lives and impermissible restrictions on religious freedom that go too far? And so uh, we, we, we've been working a lot on this situation. We've been representing churches in situations where it's gone too far. But the basic, the basic way to think about this is, are churches being treated the same as other non-religious, similarly situated organizations? So, for example, um, if, if a city issues an order that says a church cannot have, you know, we, we've seen churches do things like drive through Lord's Supper, and if the city says you can't have a drive through Lord's Supper, but the McDonald's can have a drive through pickup window, then that's a problem because that's treating the church worse than it's treating similarly situated secular organizations. Uh, we've seen a lot of orders around the country that say, you know, if you're in the news media, you're completely exempt. And, but a, a press conference is in many ways, you know, functionally similar to a church service. So there's lots of areas where we're seeing um, churches seemingly picked out 
for particular restrictions that other similarly situated organizations and groups are not are not having imposed upon them. So what we've been doing is we've been sending letters where we think it's it's you know just simple cases of misunderstanding. And in some cases, we've had to represent churches, uh, particularly churches who are having drive-in church services. And you know they're following the CDC guidelines. They're they're keeping people. Um, more than six feet apart, they're in their cars with the windows up, often listening to a sermon um, being broadcast over a short-range FM transmitter. These are often people who can't listen to the services um, over the Internet because they either don't have good enough Internet access or they're not sure how to use it, things like that. And so churches have been providing these drive-in services as an alternative. And that's a great creative idea, um, but unfortunately some government officials are trying to stop that. Uh, I'm not sure why they're trying to stop that. I noticed they're not stopping people parking in the, the Walmart parking lot, even though they're, you know, it's the same distance apart. Um, but, but they're going after churches who are following all the CDC guidelines. So we filed a lawsuit against uh, Louisville, Kentucky, to defend churches who are doing this. We received a temporary restraining order stopping um, Louisville from enforcing their ban over Easter weekend, and those churches were able to have their Easter drive-in services those that, that chose that format. And we've seen we've seen um, in uh, Greenville, Mississippi, churches, uh, people who attended drive-in churches cited, issued citations by the government, and uh, we're representing a church there, and we're, we're trying to, to protect their rights to have these, um, these drive-in services that follow all the government guidelines. They're there the way they're handling it is to be safe, to protect people from COVID-19, and it's the exact same functional thing that other organizations are doing, but other organizations are not being punished for doing. Wow, that's amazing. Are you watching any, uh, is any state or community uh, being a lot more hard-handed than than others? I mean, uh, are there any examples of, I mean, you've told us about Louisville, Kentucky, which really surprises me, to be honest with you. I mean, I thought, you know, Louisville was part of the uh, Bible Belt, but, um, you know, for that uh, for that uh, type of, of uh, response there, it kind of surprised me. How about places like uh, New York City or, or uh, uh, San Francisco or Los Angeles, uh, you know, places that we traditionally know as being uh, very heavy liberal? Uh, you, you know, it, it really varies wildly, and oftentimes in one place, um, you know, the governor may be issuing very reasonable restrictions, but it's oftentimes a city or county government that is imposing restrictions. Sometimes you have wildly different restrictions, you know, feet apart, depending on where the county line is or the city line is. Um, so you can even have different rules for two different parts of the same city if it spreads across multiple counties. Uh, so there's 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 a wide array and most of the government restrictions that we've seen have been governmental officials who are honestly just trying to do the best they can and you know the the, the coronavirus uh the uh novel coronavirus is this is in, in many ways a, a situation that the almost nobody who's still alive in the united states has experienced with this sort of of pandemic and dealing with it. So a lot of people are trying to do the best they can and oftentimes just, you know, are not uh, thinking about all of the, the potential side effects of their orders. And so I'm hoping that by by representing churches in these localities where we have seen problems, uh, like Greenville, uh, Mississippi, like Louisville, Kentucky, that, that A, that will educate officials around the country, hey, you can't treat churches worse then you treat other similarly situated sector organizations. And, you know, hopefully there will never be a next time for something like this. But if there is a next time, that people will know what the rights are. Government officials will know what churches' rights are. And that we'll be able to, to not have this happen again. Let me ask you this uh, in closing. Uh, the, uh, the situation, should it ever get, uh, should the, uh, the local jurisdiction not back down, and uh, and and continue, you know, like in Greenville, like in, in in Louisville. Should that they not back down, and it goes to the Supreme Court, uh, how do you think that that will play out if it ever gets so, to that point? Yeah. So um, it, there there are several lawsuits around the country challenging many different um, orders. Some of them may depend on 
some of the nuances of, of individual orders. But the general way to think about this is, um, does the government have a compelling interest? And I think that, you know, saving lives in the pandemic, re- reducing the, the curve, flattening the curve, as they say, um, is a compelling governmental interest. Um, but as time goes on, that may change. You know, um, it, after the curve has been flattened, the government's interest may change, and that may actually change the constitutional analysis. Uh, so you have sort of changing uh, uh, factual backgrounds over time can affect that. But then you also have what are the particulars of the rule? Does it treat churches and religious organizations worse than it treats the McDonald's or the Walmart parking lot or things like that? Um, does the order, you know, call out churches for special treatment, or is it treating everybody the same? Um, so, you know, if you if you if you have an order that that you know makes no exceptions, it treats everybody the same, then that looks like it's really in furtherance of a compelling governmental interest. It looks like um, they're actually they're not, you know, there's no sort of targeting of churches, no sort of targeting of religious organizations. This is actually what they think. Then, then a lot of those may be permissible. But where we have instances where churches are subject to special rules or extra type uh, restrictions, I think that those will be struck down. Wow, I, you know, it it is it, it's it's rather concerning, you know, uh, it, it, to me. I mean, it's rather. Uh, it's a big concern because I, uh, I see these, uh, the, the assault on right on, on religious freedom to begin with. And then all of a sudden we've got this situation, which almost seems to, uh, justify some people's, uh, attack on religion. Uh, tell, tell the folks how they can, um, uh, contribute or donate or support, uh, the first American Liberty, uh, Liberty or the first, excuse me, first Liberty Institute. Sure. Well, you can go to firstliberty.org, firstliberty.org, and as soon as you go to our webpage, there's actually a banner that goes to all of our COVID-19 resources. We have a weekly podcast we've been doing that just talks about religious liberty issues and the coronavirus. Um, And we also have links to documents that the government officials have been putting out, that we've been putting out. So we've got a lot of resources there, things to listen to, things to read, things that you you can follow cases where we have had to take court action. And so you can you can stay apprised of what First Liberty is doing, firstliberty.org. Wonderful. Thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us, Justin. Once again, we've been talking with uh, Mr. Justin Butterfield, Deputy General Counsel for First Liberty Institute. Uh, stay safe and uh, uh, keep your family safe, too, Justin. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Bye. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio in San Antonio. And we've got uh, my very good friend, Miss Laura Presley, uh, who is an advocate for uh, clean elections. I mean, really, quite a thought. And uh, I wanted to get her on our show and uh, ask her about this proposal, this idea that the Democrats are really pushing now uh, about the about uh, voting by by uh, mail, because, of course, they're very scared of uh, of getting sick like we all are. But uh, this uh, could make our democracy sick, I think. I don't know. Uh, Laura, welcome to the show. Tell us again, what's the name of your uh, organization so, so that the folks know exactly uh, what, the, what the title is? 
Absolutely. Well, George, just thank you for having me back on, and God bless you for all you do, all the truth that you get out, and you're just an angel on this earth, so thank you. <laughs> well, you, you brought up a really great topic. My company, uh, my organization, is True Texas Elections, and we are mission is to ensure honest and legal elections in the state of Texas. So, yes, I am very concerned about this proposal to expand the mail-in ballot voting across the state of Texas and across the country. We know that there are multiple modes of attack for fraud with these mail-in ballots. Texas is Texas has some really good laws on the books to try to kind of rein this stuff in and try to minimize, you know, the fraud that could occur. The main thing that happens, and we have this, these cases have been documented in the state of Texas. I'm not just talking about something that is, um, you know, a p potentially could happen. I'm going to tell you some stories of exactly the fraud that has happened in Texas with mail-in ballots. It's called ballot harvesting. Which is, yeah, which is very, very interesting because during one of the uh, recent uh, briefings, the the, the uh, COVID briefings that the White House had, uh, I, I believe it was uh, Acosta from uh, CNN challenged President Trump to give some examples of uh, yes. of, of uh, voter fraud by mail-in. So um, please, give us some examples. <laughs> yes. So in Texas, we've had cases, and people have been prosecuted with the, with the Attorney General's office here in the state of Texas for, it's very interesting, you will have these networks of people, and this has occurred and documented in Dallas and in Fort Worth, large counties, Tarrant County and Dallas County. And what happens is these network of people will go out and they know when the ballots are going to be in the mailboxes of the voters because the counties send these out in batches. This may seem very complicated to everybody that's listening, but this is exactly what this is the extreme that people go to to steal our vote. So they these these networks of people will know when the ballots are in the boxes and they will actually George go take them go remove them from the mail boxes and forge a signature. You have to have a verification signature to actually turn this mail-in ballot back in, in in the county. And they will forge the signatures. And this has been documented where loads of ballots have come into the county and there's a group in, in Fort Worth called Direct Action Texas. I love them. They do great work. They focus on mail-in ballot fraud specifically. And they have done public information requests and collected all these signatures. And you can tell it's the same signature over and over and over and over again. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And, it, and it's, so, it's so visible, it's so visceral, you can see it visually as a, you know, a gift document. And so, well-known in Dallas and Fort Worth, there are networks of people, they have yet to catch... The, the main person that is kind of organizing all this, they've, they've caught some of the lower-level people. But the this main person they have in Fort Worth. That is kind of a, that's a very organized crime. And actually, Texas changed their statutes for election fraud that when there's multiple people involved in this, this is now categorized in Texas as organized crime. Now, now I have heard... Uh, I have heard that uh, this situation of ba of harvest, uh, harvesting ba harvesting ballots uh, is quite uh, it, it it usually happens with nursing homes where yes. folks where, where you know that, but it that, also happens e e everywhere. In the case of going and getting the ballots from the mailboxes and actually stealing them, filling them out, signing it as as the voter. Catching these people where the signatures are the same. They've even, Direct Action Texas and the Attorney General's Office have found groups. Let's say there's neighborhoods in Dallas and Fort Worth where a certain person would be over that neighborhood and would be go gathering those ballots out of the mailboxes and signing them and turning them into the county. Amazing. Group these people by sections and districts and, and neighborhoods with signatures. So you, do you, you would you would be able to tell which district and which uh, candidate is uh, profiting from this shenan from these shenanigans? Candidates, right? <laughs> which candidates? I mean, 
that's the main goal is to get yeah. into office that's not supposed to be there. So that, you know, and there, you know, there's some, you know, presumptions of who's maybe driving the boat on this. But this is a direct example that's happened in, in Texas, and it's documented, it's it's been prosecuted. That is the biggest problem. The, the, other, the other thing, George, is even just... Helping, you know, people who, sh- you know, they know when the mail, the mail and ballots are going to drop to the mailboxes. They have. This is another method, all, method that has happened. They have sent out people to say, "Oh, I just, you know, we, you know, we're here for this candidate. We're here to help you if you have a mail in ballot you need help with." And they'll go into the homes, and people will let them walk in their home and fill out their ballot for them. I mean, that that's a, it's shocking, and they're not relatives. These are just strangers and human beings we are so trusting yeah right if we trust before you know we we really consider what could be happening in the moment well there had been there had been some some what they call politiqueras the, the these women that collected yeah. uh, ballots in south texas in the rio grande valley that had been prosecuted uh has anything come out of that anymore i mean is there are there any more investigations related to that i've heard heard about that but i'm not familiar with any what the consequences are what what i've seen in the last year or two is that they're catching these lower level people and they're waiting the ag's office is waiting for someone to implicate the bigger the bigger picture and yeah. they're i think they're they're continuing to pursue that but this mail-in this mail-in thing expanding mail-in ballots is just it's huge fraud and Voting in person is the most secure way to ensure that our elections and just expanding this this method of, of mail in only require you know requires that you have to be in a certain category, you have to be over sixty five, you have to be disabled or you're gonna be out of the county when the election's occurring. And then those three situations oh, and I guess military also can do mail in because it's overseas. But those are the four categories that have to be there um, for you to get an exception of a mail-in ballot. So mail-in ballots are an exception. And actually in Texas, in each of these counties, mail-in ballots are about 5 to 10% of the ballots that are cast. Most of the other about 90% or 95% of the ballots are cast in person, uh, early vote, or on election day. So this is, point in Texas, it's a small number. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to expand that, you know, we're we're not supporting that. And I know the state of Texas. Um, well, there's enough resistance already against the idea of voter ID, let alone uh, this. You know the. Well, yeah, you, know, you don't have a clue who's exactly. You don't have a clue who's filling out that ballot, and that's like you know, like we said, even Texas has got some of the best laws and best procedures to catch the fraud, and we're catching it. Imagine a state that doesn't really have all of the particulars in place. It's just going to be rampant. Yeah, well, like, you know, I would imagine someplace like California. Yes, yes. Know, where, where... I think Oregon, um, I think Oregon does strictly mail-in, if I recall, I think that's true. I'm not sure. I think that is. Or Washington State. Maybe it's Washington State that does all complete mail-in. I mean, it's shocking. Absolutely yeah. shocking. So, uh, in closing, in closing here... Uh, we've only got about a minute to go. What uh, What do you think needs to happen uh, rather than lightening up? Uh, you know, on this on this situation, what What do we need to tighten up, and where does it need to be tightened up? The states, the federal government, the counties. Where Where do Where do we need to tighten up all this? Well, and you know, voting all the voting laws are by state. Very few voting laws are at the federal level because that's really not con- constitutionally. That's not something the the Constitution gives the federal government the power to regulate and to dictate exactly the processes for elections. My belief, George, is you know, in person voting on election day is the most secure. Early vote. I would anybody that's listening. People love early vote because it's convenient, but I'm going to tell you what, when the counties have four days to handle all of these electronic ballots, I've seen counties 
who have downloaded the early vote data on Friday night and Saturday and changed the data and reloaded it back on Monday or Tuesday. Early vote is not secure. Election day is the most secure in person with some type of paper trail. That's if, you, if your listeners want to secure their vote, personal responsibility, and not go early vote. Early vote is is a disaster. So early voting even is not is not secure. That's amazing. That, not that's well, they've got four days to mess with the data before the Tuesday. So early voting typically closes on that Friday. In the election days, Tuesday, I've seen counties that have downloaded the early vote data, deleted the early vote data, and uploaded it again. Wow. Well, like, you know, like Stalin said, you know, it doesn't matter who votes, it's who counts it. Who counts, and who counts it when. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, that's right. Uh, Laura, thank you very much for being with us. Tell the folks how they can follow you, where they can find you, and how they can support you. Oh, bless you. Yes, it's um, you know, our, our organization is True Texas Elections, and you can contact me through my email, which is Laura Presley, L-A-U-R-A-P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y, at startmail.com, and that's where you can contact me. And I do presentations all across the state. If you would like me to come and do a presentation or do an interview or whatever, I would be happy, so just give me an email and... We'll put you on the calendar and um, and get get all this election integrity stuff started back up before November. So bless you, George. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Ms. Laura Presley. George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP, 930 AM radio. We'll be right back. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning.